KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City, a product of Tyler Media, reaching over 1 million Oklahomans every week. Now, the Outdoor Hour, giving you the inside scoop on the great outdoors on 1077 The Franchise. As long as I can remember, I've been drawn to the outdoors. There's something primal in each of us that awakens when we step outside the bounds of modern society and back into the vast possibilities of the natural world. The more civilized our lives become, the louder our hearts cry for reconnection with our native ways. Failure is imminent, dangers drawing nigh, but approached with reverence and tact, the outdoors return wisdom and gain. In both the outdoors and in life, harvests are fleeting, but lessons and memories abound. With that in mind, we step forth boldly together in pursuit of ourselves outdoors. We are nothing more than tree stand troubadours. Welcome inside the outdoor hour. Hey, deer season is here. It is upon us. Almost. We're counting down the final days. It it certainly doesn't feel like it's deer season outside, but we're getting to that time of year. This is the outdoor hour. We've got a great episode lined up for you this week. Taylor Maples, Joshua Wildman Stratton is on the phone line. The blessing for everybody. <laughs> it's a blessing that you're joining us or a blessing that you're not in the studio? Uh, for you, it, I think that I'm not in the studio. Yeah, that's okay. I miss you, but I do like when you can call us from the road. He is out west doing some Mule Deer Foundation responsibilities this week. I see the finger on the trigger over here. Goldfish is with us. What's up? That fires me up so much. How are you guys this week? That's just good old fashioned radio. Man. It is, man. You got to have the hot buttons. You got to. to. But I do have a question. Yeah. So novice don't really hunt or anything. With the temperatures being as high as they are now, is that gonna not make the deer come out more? Are they gonna be bedding down? Like what? What does that affect when it's this hot outside? Why don't we introduce our guest and let that be his first question? Okay. Joining us this week is Dallas Barber the big game biologist for your Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. It's been a long time coming. I know. We've been trying to get it worked out for a while, and we're finally here. We've had a couple of episodes. We're like, this would be a good one to get Dallas on, and (laughs) I think this is really the time. Yeah. Um, We're going to get into tonight, just so everybody can get an idea of where we're headed. Specifically, we want to talk about chronic wasting disease Mm -hmm. um, and its implications in the state of Oklahoma, what hunters need to know, maybe answer some questions, some things that you've heard, settle some rumors, all of that. But we'll get into CWD. The first question on the table from Goldfish is, how does the heat affect deer season? Yeah. I mean, obviously, these deer are living outside all the time. Um, So are they a huge fan of heat? Um, I mean, just like we are, it, it's not as comfortable to, to be out and about when it's hot. But, I mean, they've still got to make a living. They've still got to got to do their thing. they got to find food. they got to find water. they got to find cover, shelter. So, really, the, the heat is more of an inconvenience for us as hunters than it is for the deer. Um, it does kind of pinch, you know, daylight activity down a little bit. So, you know, that last hour of light, that first hour of light are really kind of going to be the, the bread and butter for these early season hunts. Um but I think it's really more of a of a factor for us is, you know, do you want to go sit in a tree stand when it's 97 degrees and the humidity is, you know, it's just dripping off of you kind of deal. 
This is uh, leading into a topic that we've talked about extensively on the mm-hmm. show in the last few weeks, but scent control. Yeah. Right? If you're out there sweating in the tree, it's a little bit of a different experience, not only for you personally as a hunter, just in your comfort, yeah. but in how successful you might be, right? You've got to be better with the winds. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your thoughts on scent control? I mean, there's nothing more powerful than a deer's nose. Um, it's better than their eyes. It's better than their ears. It's how they make their, it's it's how the sausage is made when it comes to, to how they survive on a day-to-day basis. So this is, this time of year is, it can be incredibly successful um, because they are still very patternable, but you've definitely got to take into account, you know, what is my scent doing? Um, I would rather hunt on a day where there's a little bit more wind um, just because your scent cone is a little more predictable than that time. Like, you know, usually this time of year, you'll hear me say usually, that's a big biologist word that kind of it's a it's a safety blanket, right? Because <laughs> there's always going to be one person that says, well, now you just said this, but one time I had this happen. Anyways. Um, we need more of those safety nets. Yeah. They're, I like that. They're pretty convenient. I like that concept. But yeah. uh, usually, you know, this time of year, right at sunset, right at sunrise, there's kind of that just like still calm time frame where your scent can really, it can get you, so to speak. So um, it's uh, definitely something to, to take into to account. Early season, and I know this year may be an anomaly because of the extreme heat that we're still experiencing, but... Would your recommendation be to, if you had to pick mornings or evenings, sits this mm-hmm. time of year, Where when are you hunting? For me, in the places that I hunt, I think that that's a big disclaimer here is, you know, if you've done your scouting, if you're running trail cameras, things like that, those should tell you the story on, on when to be in that specific place to hunt. Um, my spot is a great morning spot. Just because the way that, you know, that property's lined out, I don't necessarily have the food but i have the bedding so they're coming back off of food sources summertime food sources they're moving their way back to bedding and i happen to be at a point in between those so activity on my cameras says morning that's when i'm going to go hunt also you know you've got life that gets in the way so like sunday morning hunting mm, wife and i are probably going to church with the kids right so the best time to hunt i always tell people is whenever you can go yeah i mean figure it out if if it's a passion of yours you'll find a way to get in the tree this is the first time you and I have had this kind of conversation together. So there's a little bit of hearsay. You know, we've been in the same room a number of times. Mm-hmm. Like we know a lot of the same people. Yeah. Um, so I may throw some things at you today and you're like, eh, it's not really true. Yeah. So forgive me on that. But I believe if I'm not mistaken, you do a lot of ground hunting with yeah. a bow, right? Yeah. Okay. And I mean, that that's really a product of where I grew up hunting, where I enjoy hunting. Um, so I, I'm a Northwest Oklahoma boy as far as where I like to be. Um, and that doesn't have anything to do with the quality of deer, the number of deer. If I wanted numbers of deer, I wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really enjoy uh, letting my glass do some walking, um, you know, getting up and, and glassing, really trying to figure out patterns on deer and sneaking in there on the ground, man. There's nothing better than, it doesn't matter the size of the deer at all. Um, you know, when you're eye to eye with, with a deer at 8, 10, 12 yards, dude, whether it's a 180-inch giant or a little four-corned yearling buck, I mean, you're just jazzed up. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it's about for me. Yeah. The first deer I harvested in the state of Oklahoma was my first deer, and it was on the ground with a bow. Yeah. And that's that's 
not only your first deer, right, mm-hmm. but being on the ground, like you're saying, you can't replicate that uh-uh. kind of a feeling. Mm-mm. That's not super at all. cool. Well, we do have a limited amount of time for this, so I want to make sure we uh, we dive right in. But first, I want to make sure we we do justice to you and, and a proper introduction. You're the big game biologist yeah. for the ODWC. What does that mean? What do you do? Yeah, so uh, essentially I'm in charge of all of our, our, our deer, elk, antelope species on kind of a statewide basis. So... You know, people ask me where I office. Technically, I office at our Arcadia Conservation Area, but my office could be Black Mesa State Park. It could be all the way down in, you know, the Broken Bow area on the Red River Valley. So a lot of windshield time uh, with my job. But essentially, I'm kind of that 30,000-foot view on species management. So not necessarily that fine scale, what should I do on my piece of property? I mean, I can answer those questions, but that's really what our our area biologists, our regional biologists, private lands biologists, that's that's kind of their niche. Um, I handle all of our deer programs. So DMAP, Deer Management Assistance Program, private land program, uh, where we can make recommendations for harvest that way. Um, I handle all of our deer depredation, you know, crop damage issues. Um, and then kind of the topic of why we're here today, um, all of our deer disease issues. Mm-hmm. They also come through my office. So CWD is something I'm familiar with from having grown up out west yeah. in Colorado. Uh, I think you mentioned the original cases of this were discovered on the Colorado-Wyoming border. Yeah, back um, in the 60s. Okay. Josh, I know, and you're going to have some great questions, too, for Dallas today with your work with MDF and the experience you've spent out west. But this is... At least in deer populations, this is a a brand new thing for the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, we, as far as being brand new, it's brand new to our wild deer and elk. Um, Back in the 90s, we had a high fence facility where we had some issues with CWD. We've also had an issue in 2019 uh, over in Lincoln County, another high fence facility there. So we're not necessarily new to the CWD world in a grand scheme of things, but as far as our, our wild deer and elk herds, yeah, I mean, we're we're jumping off into the deep end on this deal. So what is it? Yeah, so I think that's a good point to bring up. Before we explain all of what we're doing or why we're doing it, we probably need to ask, you know, ask ourselves, what is this and why does it even matter? Mm-hmm. Um, chronic wasting disease, CWD, is a prion disease. So it's not a, it's not a bacteria, it's not a virus, um, there's nothing we can do to cure it kill it, anything like that. So what's a prion? A prion is an intercellular protein, and every living being has prions inside of their cells, right? Whether you're a deer, a person, a turtle, it doesn't matter. Um, What happens is, this is a a family of diseases called, we're going to get into some big words, and I don't want to- I can already tell them a little over my head. I don't want to run anybody off your- No, this is great. We'll we'll layman's terms a lot of this stuff, but transmissible spongiform encephalopathy. Transmissible meaning it can go from from one critter to the other. Uh, Spongiform meaning it causes holes. Encephalopathy, it affects the brain. So we just shorten that down. It's, t- it's a TSE. So that's the same family that like mad cow is in. So some of our people will remember what mad cow is, mm-hmm. right? Um, scrapey and sheep is another TSE. Um, there's a human version of a TSE, Crutzfeld Jakob's disease. Um, and basically what it does is um, it causes your brain to get holes in it. It's the best way, easiest way to kind of kind of put it. Um, those prions, once they are exposed to a CWD prion, they then say to themselves, it's a misfold of that prion. So they say, boy, that one looks different. That's what we're supposed to look like. So then they all misfold. 
and they will harbor themselves in the central nervous system which can cause, um, you know, emaciation. So deer that look really, really skinny, um, it causes drooling, it causes uh, excessive urination, it causes um, hanging their head. So, you know, you're looking at a deer that's standing kind of in an A-frame stance. So, you know, their feet are out in front of them. Uh, they're looking a little wobbly. Their heads are, are hanging down. Um, you know, it, it affects, it's all neurological for the most part, other than that, that emaciation. So they just kind of forget how to be a deer. I was talking to somebody in the hallway before we came in uh, for this show, and they asked me what the topic is this week. And I was giving the 30,000-foot view yeah. of CWD and, and speaking to a non-hunter. And I said, man, so can you tell that these deer have this? And I said, honestly, from my experience, you know, like think about what a drunk deer would look like. Yeah. And that's probably the most yeah. indication you're going to have. So, I mean, the, the hardest part about it as a deer hunter, a deer manager, a wildlife enthusiast um, – this, this this disease can basically harbor itself in that animal for, you know, two years before it, it becomes uh, symptomatic. Wow. So, you know, they have chronic wasting disease. They're out on the landscape spreading chronic wasting disease, but they look, act, feel as healthy as, as a horse. So this is an interesting time in just human history to be having this conversation because we're all still kind of familiar with that COVID yeah. reality we lived in, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into the, in the next segment, talk about population management and all these things, yeah. but like the social distancing thing, yep. when that first came out in 2020, we were like, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. You know, what is social distancing? Uh, there's a lot of these types of things, incubation period, exactly. like those are terms that in today's world, we're People pretty familiar yeah. with. So, I mean, yeah. that, that incubation period, I'm glad you brought that up, mm -hmm. That that's anywhere from 8 to 24 months in a deer. So, until they are symptomatic. So, I mean, a perfectly healthy deer can be positive for, for CWD, which is a huge management challenge, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not like you can just go, yep, that one has it. And the problem with a lot of those symptoms that we talked about is – you know, the, the emaciation, the confusion, the loss of fear, um, spinning around in circles, those also happen to be symptoms of things that are very common, like a brain abscess or, you know, uh, unfortunately, like taking a, a small projectile to the head. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't kill that deer, but it it makes them act the exact same way. Hmm. Um, so there's things where it's like yeah, this is checking all the boxes for CWD, but we'll test that deer and it comes back as not detected. So that makes it even more challenging because now you're getting all these phone calls. Hey, I've got a deer in my backyard that's acting wonky. Hey, I've got a deer on the county road that's acting wonky. You know, there, there's a lot of things that that mimic the same symptoms of this disease that are not of major concern to population dynamics, anything like that. I would have to believe that for outdoorsmen and deer hunters in particular, the concept of CWD mm. is familiar. I think just about everybody has probably heard of chronic wasting disease. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I, I hope that's so just so we have a good starting point with where we're going here. Mm -hmm. um, the more people that are aware of this disease, I think the better chance you have of mitigating the spread of that disease. So, you know, the the prions, we, we can't kill them. Um, studies have shown that that these prions can live they're not a living creature but they can exist in the soil for decades so you know once that prion is on the landscape it's there and it can be uptaken by plants 
and up into those leaves of plants and spread that way. So, you know, it's just a, it's a very difficult disease to manage. Wow. Mm -hmm. We're chatting with the big game biologist for your ODWC, Dallas Barber in studio this week. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about chronic wasting disease. There are now confirmed cases inside the state of Oklahoma for the first time in wild deer populations. We'll talk about uh, what that means to you as an outdoorsman, what you need to know if you need to protect yourself and what you can do to try to help uh, with the health of these deer populations for all of eternity now moving forward. Yep. When we come back, we'll have more of the Outdoor Hour on 1077 The Franchise. Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host Taylor Maples on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile app. Welcome back inside the outdoor hour. Taylor Maples, Maddie Goldfish. I was a little unprepared for that one, but I could tell. a good producer is always prepared. So I saw, I still fired it on time. Uh, I saw the scramble. You got it good. We're great. Uh, we actually lost Josh Stratton in the break due to some technical difficulties and. Uh, we're just going to let him go on about his life. So we are continuing forward with Dallas Barber from the ODWC, your big game biologist. Um, hey, deer season's right around the corner. You've heard me talking about oaky hides for a long time. But if you're still not sure what your hunting setup is going to be like this year, I recommend you go talk to Roy. Go see Rivers. Go talk to everybody at Oaky Hides. These are the most overbuilt blinds that you'll ever find they're made right here in oklahoma city by oklahomans and these things are now traveling all across the world it's amazing to see how far they've come and what they're doing these guys are welders and fabricators by trade and they're outdoorsmen and outfitters by choice and they've built a product that really is the perfect uh carryover between both of those passions they now are customizing things i saw most recently on social media they're doing a trailer blind that'll raise and lower on hydraulics they've got air conditioning units and some uh, different floor plans, different arrangements for windows, bow windows, shelves, and blackout curtains, and all of this kind of stuff. Seriously, just go check out Oki Hides. They're not the cheapest. They're just the best, and that's the way they like to say it. Uh, but go check out Oki Hides and OkiHides.com. These things are phenomenal. We're chatting with Dallas Barber from the ODWC, talking specifically about chronic wasting disease this week. But there's a lot going on in the deer population and biology world right now in the state of Oklahoma. I subscribe and get this uh, Outdoor Oklahoma publication. I think this is a bi-monthly thing yep. that comes out. Mm -hmm. um, there's always really cool articles and things in here, but I, I picked this one out specifically to bring in today, Dallas, because it's got the harvest report for big game yeah. from last season. Yeah, that's our, our big game report, as we call it. Okay. You know, an annual production that we make that kind of breaks down uh, harvest trends, you know, from years past all the way up till now. Um, anything from, you know, what WMA harvested what deer, uh, what county harvest was like based on, you know, method of take and sex of those animals. So just a, a good production that, that we put together so everybody kind of understands, like, 
here's all the data that we're collecting and here, here's what it means. It's nice to have it in print publication form yeah. in my hands here. That information is also available online. Yeah, correct? yeah. There, there's a PDF version of it okay. on our website. Yep. Okay. Uh, what's the big storyline here from the Harvest Report last year? New harvest record. Yeah. Um, so, you know, back during COVID, we had set a record uh, for overall harvest that we kind of thought would never be touched again. The um, outdoors... Uh, access and utilization across the country just Mm -hmm. boomed in 2020 and when you don't have to go to work yeah um and you're stuck in your house otherwise exactly so you know we we really thought that that it would never be touched again um but here we are you know 134,000 and change as far as overall deer harvest um it's a great representation of of what our hunters are are doing everybody's being thirty-four thousand and change do you know off the top of your head the breakdown there of antlered versus antler list 45 percent antlerless okay. which that's that's an even bigger story to me um than the the harvest record is um you know we have been asking our hunters for quite some time now to to help us reach management goals of of harvesting 40 to 45 percent of the total harvest being antlerless deer and man they they took it upon themselves and nailed it right on the head so Great news. Looked like uh, archery hunters set another uh, yeah archery record. record, rifle record. I mean, it was just you know it was a it was a banner year to say the least. So, and this might be a dumb question: one hundred thirty four thousand and change deer harvested in the mm-hmm. state of Oklahoma. How many deer are there in the state of Oklahoma? Yeah, so population estimates are anywhere between seven hundred fifty and eight hundred thousand. Okay, um, you know the the hard part about our state. You know, you coming from Colorado, you'll understand this. Colorado gets to say we have, you know, 724,122 elk in the state of Colorado because they can fly a helicopter during certain times of the year when all of those animals are in one place. They've all come way up out of the out of the timber line and they're down in winter ranges where they can fly a chopper over, count every single one of them. Boom, we got a number. We're good. Um, what we have to do because we don't have that luxury of, you know, seasonal migration. Uh, We also have a lot of areas of the state that have really poor visibility um, from the air and even worse from the road. So we have to kind of get an estimate based on harvest, based on uh, our DMAP properties and our wildlife management areas, doing spotlight surveys. There's a lot of ways to kind of get to that metric, but it's the best that we can do with with the tools that we have. So... You said between seven and 800,000 mm-hmm. is kind of the estimated population. Uh, last year, we had two confirmed cases of chronic wasting disease yep. in Oklahoma for mm-hmm. the first time in the wild deer and elk population. Yeah. Um, what do you think that number really is? We have two confirmed cases. Yeah. Where do you think that percentage lies? Yeah, I mean, speculation will get you in trouble. In, in this business, um, but where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. So these deer weren't dropped out of an airplane um, into our state with chronic wasting disease. So um, I'm very interested to see where where we wind up with, with what that prevalence rate is. Um, luckily, so for those of you that don't know, um, those two areas were Woodward County uh, and Texas County. So up by Guyman, up by Woodward, if you're not a county person. Um those deer, those areas, I guess I should say, are fairly low deer density areas. So especially that Texas County area, um, you know, 
parts of it down in the river bottom, a deer every 80 acres, a deer every 50 acres, up out of the river bottom, a deer every 1,000 acres. So, you know, very, very uh, large gradient of deer densities in that area. And how does that compare to, like, some of the more dense regions? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, you look at places in Pittsburgh County down, you know, kind of the McAllister area, southeast Oklahoma, you can have a deer every seven acres eight acres to where i mean they're really densely packed in and you can kind of get an idea of deer density we were talking about the big game report looking at that that county-wide harvest Mm -hmm. um you can kind of get a a pretty decent idea of deer densities across the state just based on that table alone now granted some of those are, are higher hunted areas than others but most of the time it's higher hunted because there's more deer you're like me, and I could tell you got so excited during the break when we were in hinting at talking about this report. Just the amount of data that you guys collect <laughs> off of the simple check-ins. Yeah, and- I mean, so when, whenever you go and you build your, your profile on our Go Outdoors Oklahoma app, um, you know, all that nitpicky stuff that they ask you for, what's your zip code, what town do you live in, um, you know, and then as far as e-check goes, what were what were the method of take, where was it taken, all this stuff. I mean, we, we've got millions and millions of data points that we've put together to, to produce a, a, a document like this. So super cool deal there. So chronic wasting disease in the first segment, we talked about a little bit more what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this an issue of concern? Yeah. Um, obviously, there there is a concern for overall herd health. Um, that's a, a one that's kind of glaring in your face, right? What does this do to deer populations? Um, it's always fatal. So, I mean, once they contract this disease, that deer is going to die, be it, uh, you know, from emaciation, be it from getting hit by a car, be it from uh, falling off a cliff into a pond. I mean, you name it. Basically, they lose the ability to to survive. Um, What's concerning about it from another standpoint is there are some concerns for human health with this disease, Um, you know. I'm not a human health expert, so we're kind of getting outside of what I'm qualified to speak about. But what we can say is that there's never been a case of chronic wasting disease that has jumped into humans. Never once been documented. Um, But with that being said, we don't know what we don't know. Um, Can it happen? Possibly, but it never, ever happened before. Um, But, you know, what we're doing to ease people's mind there you know the cdc recommends if you harvest a deer that is is from an area that's known to have chronic wasting disease have that deer tested before you eat it if it comes back as detected let's not eat it if it comes back not detected you know everything is is just like normal um so what we are doing for that you know we've got various drop-off freezers across the areas within those ssas survey selected surveillance areas um You'll and those able- are designed specifically based around where those cases yeah, were. Yeah, okay. so there's there's three of them in the state, one in Cimarron County, one in Woodward County, uh, one in Texas County. You'll be able to go onto our website, wildlifedepartment.com, hop up into that search bar, just search SSA. That'll get you right to that page. We'll kind of map out a little bit better of, of where exactly those are. Um, 
what comes along with those were providing drop-off freezers for testing, completely voluntary. So if you want to have your deer tested, uh, you know, take it to one of those freezers. Again, those locations on that exact same page that we just uh, directed to. But uh, basically, give us the deer head. We'll have it tested. Not only does that help you uh, for knowing if your deer is going to be positive, whether or not you need to dispose of that meat or not, um, but it really helps us find out what that prevalence rate is. So a lot of states have have gone to mandatory testing they've gone in and eradicated deer and that's just not what what we're we're about here um there's been a lot luckily um and not so luckily you know getting this disease is never desired but there have been a ton of other states that have kind of paved the way a map so to speak of what to do but more importantly what not to do um so uh, what not to do is don't go in and eradicate all the deer. Um, and there have been states that yes, have taken that approach. Uh, yeah, there, there has. Um, and it proved not to be effective. So, you know, what we are trying to do first off on this kind of initial push, I should say, is we want to find out how many deer have it and where are they at. So as we collect that data, we can kind of make better decisions on what needs to be done further down the road. Um, you know, it's not something that... We're, we're not really trying to make people's lives miserable as far as hunting goes, but what we're trying to do is, is mitigate that spread as much as we can. So some of those regulations that come into play with those SSAs, um, you know, the only way you can bring a carcass out of those SSAs is if you follow those steps that are on that, that CWD page. So we're talking about, uh, you know, front and rear quarters that don't contain spinal columns. We're talking about skulls that have all tissue removed. So I get the question, Dallas, what's tissue? Anything that's not bone is tissue. So if you're going to bring a head home out of that SSA, you either need to skin it all out and boil it there on it within that SSA or just skull cap it there on site and bring it out make sure you blow all the brain out all that kind of stuff to where we're not bringing that is where that highly infectious material is located in the brain along the spinal column so as long as you leave that stuff in the ssa it's business as usual as far as bringing a deer back out so it sounds like essentially what you guys have done here is in these three ssas you're essentially creating like an out of state. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for people that are familiar with the same, it's basically the exact same rules and regulations as, as if you were to be bringing an elk home from Colorado, a mule deer home from Wyoming, a moose home from Canada, um, those same exact kind of regulations. So we're not bringing any of that, that highly infectious material from other states into the state. Basically, we've created a little area where it's like, hey, let's try to not bring anything out of this area. Ten mile radius is what our response plan says. So as best as we can define that, you know, a 10 mile radius, a circle on a map is kind of hard to define. Uh, so we've utilized highways. We've utilized uh, county roads, things like that, that stuck as best as we could to that 10 mile radius to kind of define that area. Um, but, you know. If you're in that SSA, here's what you need to do to take it out, and here's what you need to do to help us out. I mean, we're not making it mandatory, so if you want to tell us to pound sand, so be it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is, a, again, one of those deals where it's like we're asking for our hunters and outdoorsmen to help us gather data to make management decisions down the road. What are your research goals for this season? Like I said, you know, just at the beginning of this, we need to find out where all it's at and we need to find out how many deer have 
this disease. And then is where do it, we go once we have that data collected? First off, is that a one-year thing? Can we, in over the course of one hunting season, collect enough data for you to have that information? Based on harvest numbers from those counties, um, this, I mean, the, the CWD plan says we're going to do this for five years okay. at, at a minimum. Um, that gives us some cushion to be able to, to put together a data set that's not statistically insignificant. Um, especially like you look at Texas County, I mean, what's it say in there? 400 deer killed in that whole County. Um, so, I mean, when you're looking at, okay, we have an SSA here, it is, if they want their deer tested, they can bring it in from here. There's only 400 and something deer killed in this County. Uh, you know, 130. Okay. So even less than that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, very, very few deer harvested in Texas County. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to have a statistically significant, a, st- a statistically significant measure for that part of the world, man, we need almost everyone to bring us their deer, right? But then you get to moving over towards Woodward County. We don't necessarily need everyone to bring us the deer that they that they harvested for testing. Yeah, eleven hundred. Yeah, I mean we're we're talking about quite a bit more as far as deer density goes. So find out where all it's at. Find out what percentages are as far as prevalence, and that can help drive management goals. Because I mean, I think one thing we haven't talked about is how how does this spread? Mm-hmm. Right. So. Again, it's not a bacteria. It's not a virus. That prion is spread through bodily fluids. So nose-to-nose contact, um, artificially concentrating deer at feeders, things like that. Um, again, like we had said, it can be shed from that deer through the urinary tract or through feces. Um, so as those are on the landscape, they continue to build and build and build and build in concentration to where it's almost kind of a toxic environment for that deer to be in. Um, so with all that being said, how do we help with that is not necessarily eradicating the deer, but it is to keep that population at a level that would be considered healthy for what that habitat can support. So you don't want overpopulation, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want underpopulation because then people aren't hunting. They aren't having a good time. But keeping it, you know, at an equilibrium where everything is reduced in the in the prevalence rate world. We talk about carrying capacities Mm -hmm. for a landscape. Yeah. It seems like this is just an extra little wrinkle in that conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, that, that carrying capacity is, you know, how many deer can this 80 acre piece of property we should probably use something bigger than that like a home range for a deer average thousand acres right okay so how many deer can can fit healthily be in, sustained yes, in this thousand acre piece of property and if you that number is going to be different for every single thousand acre plot you pick in the state it's going to be different based on food cover water shelter things like that are, are what play into that so um Deer densities in Texas County are low because the carrying capacity is low because the habitat is not as good as, say, Pittsburgh County or some of our other high producers, Osage County. You know, we're talking about, what, 5,000 deer killed in Osage County last year? I mean, it's like— It's a ton. makes your eyes go, whoa. Yeah. That's that's a lot. But it's also a large county. So, I mean— One of the data points that stuck out to me, a little bit different direction here, but muzzleloader season is, what, nine days in Oklahoma? Mm -hmm. There were over 11,000 deer harvested with muzzleloaders last year. 
it's a short but sweet season. Unfortunately, we're seeing quite a reduction in participation and a reduction in harvest numbers. Um, that's something that we're kind of looking into, trying to figure out, man, why, why is that the case? I have some, you know, completely anecdotal thoughts on that. I mean, you don't just pick up a muzzleloader and, and go hunt with it. Like, you have to have somebody teach you, like, mm-hmm. here's the steps. Um, you know, you take the powder, you put the powder in, you put the bullet down, you seat the bullet, you take the primer, you know, the whole the whole song some and dance. There's barriers there. Yes, that, the yeah. whole song and dance as far as, like, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, that teaching class of people is aging out, sure. and it's not being replaced in an, in an equivalent uh, ratio. It seems like the R3 initiative needs like a muzzle loader yeah. specific. Right. And yeah. I mean, I tell people all the time, like, dude, if I only had nine days to hunt, regardless of what the method is, right? Mm-hmm. If I only had nine days to hunt, like that pre rut muzzle loader days, you know what is it, the fourth Saturday in October for nine days is how that season set up. Like, it's hard to beat that. Yeah. Scrape City. I mean, like, yeah. the Bucks are cruising for scrapes. They're not quite crazy running all over the place where you're going to lose Bucks and gain Bucks and have no idea where that deer you've been watching all summer has gone. But, like, they start ramping stuff up. And I always tell people, like, dude, that's that's when, it. It's when I'd go. Yeah. If you'll notice, like, if you were to look at my HR paperwork, like, there's a pretty good trend in <laughs> in when my days off during deer season are, and it's usually right around that time. We got to squeeze in another break. Uh, I want to tease something go before ahead. we do. I've heard you speak on this, and this might be the most controversial thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. Oh boy. I want to talk about moon phase. <laughs> okay. And. How it affects deer movement. Or doesn't affect deer Or movement. doesn't affect deer We'll find movement. out. Because people are pretty uh, polarized yeah, on this topic. It's a good one. And I know it's something you have a conversation about this probably <laughs> routinely. Yeah, yeah. It's so, definitely one that, that I get asked on pretty frequently. We'll so. talk moon phase, deer movement, or lack thereof when we come back, as well as have a little bit more to wrap up this chronic wasting disease discussion. You're listening to the Outdoor Hour on 107.7 The Franchise. Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host Taylor Maples on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile app. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour. Final segment here this week, sitting down with Dallas Barber, the big game biologist from your Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation. Josh isn't here any longer, but he always gives me a good chuckle out of that. He he likes that. So that's uh, that's just for you, Josh. We teased before the break about deer movement and the moonlight. Um, before we get into that, because I know you've got a great response for this, um, I want to talk about my friends over at Pedago OKC. I picked up an e-bike about two years ago now. Um, and it has really changed the way that I've been able to get out there in the woods. Dallas, have you ever been on an e-bike? I got to ride one one time at a uh, like a sportsman's club meeting. Yeah. And they are wicked. So I grew up on bikes, like yes. mountain bikes, mm-hmm. road bikes. I, I never was interested in e-bikes until, until I you got rode on one. one. Yes. And I was like... Where is this bit, right? <laughs> like, there's so much fun. Uh-huh. I love that you can control the level of exertion. Yeah. You know, um, I've literally, and I talk about this all the time, but I've gone 16 miles on one charge of my battery without ever pedaling. Mm-hmm. So then if I get out there and I feel like being a little more ambitious, you can obviously push that as far as you want. Yeah. 
Um, but to have this thing out on the deer lease, to take it while I'm just riding around Lake Hefner, you know, it's so cool to have that e-bike. Um, and there's a local shop right here, locally owned and operated. Go talk to Lance at Pedago OKC. They are on MacArthur Boulevard, just west of Lake Hefner. If you mention the outdoor hour, Lance will take good care of you and save you a little bit of money there as well. So all of that aside, deer movement and moonlight. Is yeah. this a myth? I mean, this is one of the the fun ones that you see like on TV and people talking about moon phase. Um, and you you know what? If this is something that if this is something you want to believe in and and base your hunts off of, more power to you. But as a biologist, um, I'm going to make my decisions based on science. And with the technology we have now, with uh, GPS collars, you know. We can tell you where a deer is every minute of the day for the life of that collar. Three years, some of them can do. So there's been tons of studies where they take a GPS collar and they track movement and they base it on what those moon phases are. And there is no increase in movement. Daytime, nighttime, nothing. Doesn't matter. Underfoot, overhead, in your armpit. I don't know what all they are because I don't pay attention to it. But there's no correlation between it. Um, and of course, you know, the people that are like, oh, you know, I'm follow, I follow the moon guide and I, I shot a 180 inch deer following the moon guide. Well, if, if the moon guide tells you when to go hunting, that's when you're going to go hunting. So regardless of what the moon guide says, you're, you're going to kill that deer. Does that make sense what I'm getting at? Like, yeah, the best time to go hunting is when you can go is, hunting. Exactly. So, like, if the only days that you go hunt is when the moon guide tells you to go hunt, of course the days you kill deer are when the moon guide told you you were going to kill a deer. So, it's just, like I said, if that's something that you want to base your hunting decision off of, have at it. It's a free country. I, on the other hand, will not be making my hunting decisions based off of what a little wheel and a piece of paper tells me. Do people get pretty hot over this topic with you? They, I wouldn't say hot, but like there's definitely, there's no people on the fence. Sure. Like they're either in camp or they're out the camp. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's no middle ground. And like I said, if you're in that camp, good for you, dude. But I, it's one of those deals where you're not going to be able to convince me otherwise. Cause I have scientific data to back it up. We're talking this week specifically about chronic wasting disease. Um, there are two. There were two confirmed cases mm-hmm. in the wild deer population last year. As a result, the ODWC has taken some steps to increase the surveying and the research and trying to better understand what the landscape of this is in Oklahoma. Yeah. And then what we can do to mitigate some of these risks and help the deer populations and all that. But how did you guys find the two that you had? Yeah, so these are actually two just suspect sick deer calls. So, I mean, this is something that I get tons and tons of a year. Our, uh, you know, our, our law enforcement officers get tons and tons of them a year. Some, you know, a constituent calling and saying, hey, I got a deer on my place that looks weird, acts weird, is weird, won't move, won't get up, you know, you name it, whatever, whatever ails that deer, they're calling us about it. Um, and if that deer you know checks a couple of those boxes like we were talking about with with symptoms Mm -hmm. um 
we will dispatch that deer and have it tested. So both of these deer, um, the Texas County deer and the Woodward County deer were sick deer calls that did check those boxes. I mean, it's super emaciated. The one in Texas County, super emaciated. This farmer had noticed it in his field for like, you know, two or three days, hadn't moved at all. He's sitting there trying to plow up his field. The deer would take a couple steps out of the way uh, and then just go right back to where he was once that tractor ran by. Um, same thing in the Woodward County deal. Uh, it was a sick deer in somebody's yard um and we just followed our our normal kind of sick deer protocol and i mean two deer within six weeks bang bang cwd here we are what is the mood of your department when that comes out it seems like because we've been talking about it we know yeah. that the surrounding states I mean, have it we we were prepared um luckily you know we had put ourselves in a pretty good position by having a, a cwd response plan built um, that's something that we built in tandem with uh, the department of agriculture odaf oklahoma department of agriculture food and forestry the way we're set up here uh you know we the odwc handle all of the wild deer wild cervids um Department of Agriculture, they handle all of our breeding facilities, places like that that have captive deer uh, facilities, captive deer herds. Um, they are the jurisdiction there. So we both got together, said, hey, we got to have a plan. So luckily, thankfully, we had a plan that kind of gave us a roadmap of like, okay, if, the, if A happens, here's steps for that if b happens here are steps for that so luckily we were we were pretty prepared obviously the mood in the room changes i mean like i've never i'd like triple check the email that came through from the lab at colorado state like are you sure are you sure you're sure and then you know in those cases where we have an index case is what that's called so like the first case within an area is called an index case we're always going to back that test up so it's tested one way, and again, we're getting into the weeds. It's tested one way with ELISA is the test it's run, and then you run an IHC test to, to confirm it. You know, So there's there's some – basically we're concreting that like, yep, it's positive. There's mm -hmm. no mistake about it. So that's kind of – that's where we were at on that deal. Wow. So obviously it's important to us as outdoorsmen mm -hmm. because it affects the deer population. Yeah. Uh, once it's – in the herd population, it's pretty much there. Yeah. Um, this is not something that we will ever get away from dealing with now that it's in Oklahoma. Correct. Just a matter of uh, what penetration level of the population it has, essentially. Yeah. So, I mean, what what do those prevalence rates prevalence, get to? Prevalence, right? yeah. So, at a certain point, you start seeing population decline. Um, the deer are dying from this disease quicker than they can be replaced into the population. You're starting to see that in some areas. Wyoming is having some issues with it in their mule deer. Um, Arkansas, I believe, is having some issues with it there in northwest Arkansas just due to prevalence rates. Don't make me quote the number because I don't know what it is. Um, I want to say it's somewhere around that 20% mark is where the you kind of start the sirens as far as like, mm, we need to really start paying attention to some of these areas. How does it affect reproductive health? It doesn't necessarily impact reproductive health but it's that deer are not on the landscape long enough to successfully reproduce frequently enough to sustain population yeah this is not something that's uh transmitted by reproduction if if you have an infected deer will I mean, yeah, it's they're, offspring they're in contact with body fluid yeah, right sure so um arkansas is seeing it tested 
or Fawn's testing positive. So, okay. yeah, I mean, it, it can happen. And we don't know if that is in utero. We don't know if that's, you know, the second that they hit the ground, you know, that we got all kinds of fluids going on with that deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it that the prevalence rate is so high in those areas that that landscape has got so many infectious prions on it that they just immediately pick it up? Whether it's through the food or it's contact with the It's a chicken or the egg or, situation, yeah, right? Sure. So what do we as outdoorsmen do to help? Be diligent. Um, I think, you know, as much as I said I get tons of those phone calls, I would appreciate phone calls on, you know, deer that look symptomatic. I think that's that's the biggest one. Um, and now you can't get offended when I tell you, oh, no, that's not CWD. That's this. Because just the number of stuff that I look at, I, I can kind of pick apart some photos or videos and know um, – what's going on. The other thing is, you know, we've got these testing sites that we have set up. We've made them as easy as humanly possible to utilize. They're located in areas that are open 24-7 or access to 24-7, I should say. And, you know, you just lop the head off, fill out some paperwork, and we'll get that deer tested. I mean, we won't know what to do until we know what some of that, that data is, what that epidemiological data shows us how long does it take if i drop off a deer head for you and i've got coolers full of meat great question how long until i know it's safe to consume yeah so you know the that is definitely a bottleneck within this whole situation because there are only a handful of accredited labs that are qualified to run this this test now that's something that as this becomes more and more more and more prevalent across the country those labs are starting to get built in other places. Arkansas has their own lab now. I think Mississippi's got a lab going. We are not at that point yet, so we have to send all of our stuff to Colorado State University. So based on when you send it or, you know, when that deer's harvested, we're going to try to get samples sent out once a week. So we'll run that trap line of those uh, those freezers once a week, maybe once every two weeks, you know, during that early archery season when harvest isn't as high. Um, but once we send that to the lab, I've had them come back as soon as just a couple of days. I've seen them take as long as a couple of months. So, you know, my recommendation to our hunters is, you know, process that deer just like you normally would, but just freeze it and store it until you get your test result back. What can we do in terms of our own practices in the field yeah. to help with this? It seems like uh, population density is a big piece of this. So hunters in the know take a doe. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's going to be the same recommendations that we've made right now. You know, we, we manage for healthy deer herds. It just happens to be that a result of healthy deer herds can be bigger antlers, can be health, you know bigger does, things like that. So um, as of right now, it's kind of just smooth sailing as far as what what we're recommending our hunters to do as far as choices they're making you know we've asked them to make 45 percent of our total harvest antlerless deer they've done that just keep on keeping on you know on that deal but uh as far as you know hunters within that ssa i cannot emphasize enough you know i know it's a pain to break that deer completely down to take it out i get that i've broken down more deer than i care to admit you know and having to do that every single time that that I am traveling home or traveling out of an area is okay. But you have to think about it like these are put in place to protect a resource so your grandkids can hunt, so your great-grandkids can hunt. 
Um, so just, I know that's kind of a sappy heartstring thing to kind of try to pull on, but like that is the, the reality of the story is we've put these in place to, to protect a resource. So you taking a deer out of an SSA and a whole carcass, cleaning it at your house in Tulsa or outside of Tulsa and throwing that carcass out on, on the back 40 behind your house, you've now introduced CWD prions into your backyard. So now those regulations that you cussed and cursed and hated hunting over in Woodward, they're going to be coming to your neighborhood now. So, I mean, as long as people think about that kind of stuff and and are diligent about keeping those infectious materials where they came from, I mean, hopefully we'll we'll slow this as much as we can. You really paint a good picture there with... Uh, how important it is that we take this seriously mm-hmm. and and understand the gravity of the responsibility that we have. This isn't our stuff. These aren't our resources. It's our turn with these mm-hmm. resources. And especially for those of us with young kids, thinking yeah. about getting them into the outdoors and leaving these things better for future generations. This is, is it safe to say this is the most important uh, initiative for uh, population health in our lifetime? Yeah, I mean, man, when, when we put it like that, it just sounds like doom and gloom. Um, it's something that's incredibly important mm-hmm. to the health of our deer. Um, obviously, ecosystem management. Yeah. And obviously, um, you know, connecting populate. Like, there's a lot going in, but in terms of the actual health of the animal, yeah. this may be a whole other episode we're kicking off yeah. here. But It's something where, you know, it, it's, it kills deer. I mean, it's as plain and simple as it gets. You know, other diseases you hear about, EHD, blue tongue, there's a lot of concern with those. While it's warranted in very small pockets of populations, there are deer that survive EHD and blue tongue. You know, we've got a study where we get to, to look at overall health of our deer. It's called our herd health evaluation, um, where we're going and we're sampling anywhere from 70 to 90-ish does out of a region of the state. And we can get rut timing data from that. But another big one is we spin blood samples down to serum and we can get, um, you know, a, a, basically a disease profile on what that deer's got going on based on antibodies, right? Um, so, like, when you're basically, like, west of I-35, it's, like, high 90 percentile for deer that have antibodies for EHD and blue tongue. Hmm. So, I mean, they're either being exposed to it and surviving it, or they're getting those antibodies while nursing with mom. I mean, so, it's not really a huge concern unless we have a random strain come through. The east side of the state, it's more condu- conducive to that just because of the, the moisture there. And again, we're going down a, a wormhole on, on deer disease, but um, deer can survive that. Deer cannot survive CWD. And a lot of people that are out there, they say, well, CWD didn't kill that deer. A, a Dodge Ram 1500 killed that deer. But it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been standing in the middle of the yeah. road, spinning around in circles if it didn't have CWD. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have stood there while a pack of coyotes, you know, ate him up. Or the combine mowed him yes. over. Yes, I mean there's whatever. there's there's a lot of reasons why. But basically, it, it's one of those deals where it's like, man, the the underlying story is that CWD is an always fatal deer disease. Uh, that that we. As outdoorsmen, we as conservationists, myself as a biologist, I am tasked to preserving that and doing everything within my power to do so. Um, And if that means that I have to break a deer down a little bit differently than how granddad taught me, it's the I know this word, 
the new normal. We've heard it a million times over the last three or four years, but it's kind of the new normal for deer hunting. If it means that I don't get to shoulder mount every single deer I shoot now, uh, man, euros are pretty cool. That's all I got in my garage. Yeah. It's good stuff, man. Thank you for joining us this week. I appreciate week. the invite, man. We'll have to do it again. We will. Maybe on, on something a little more fun. Yeah. Well, this is really important. I'm glad that we got you in. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think we've done a good job of kind of educating people, and I've learned a ton about just what it is and, and why it matters and what we can do to help. So uh, if people want to learn more, do you have some resources available? Where can people go for either more specific dialogue directly with you, or how do people go one step further? Yeah. So, I mean, anything pertaining to CWD within the state of Oklahoma, our website is going to be the the lead source on that so you know wildlifedepartment.com i don't know how we got that domain but somehow we landed it just wildlifedepartment.com that's our our website um as far as just general cwd education uh, there's a website at cwd-info.org that is kind of a a national organization on chronic wasting disease it can tell you where it's at it can tell you where it's not it can tell you basically a pretty good rundown of what we talked about today Um, symptoms what you can do Uh, it's got maps that show restrictions for all of these other states if you're traveling out of state to go hunt Um, it is a very well vetted uh, science-based website that can tell you dang near anything you want to know. One more time, this is Dallas Barber, the big game biologist for the ODWC here in Oklahoma, sharing a lot of knowledge. Uh, man, not only about the CWD stuff, but the big game report. We got to have you back. We're just scratching the surface, I just feel say like, when, what man. we can do. Yeah. We'll make it happen. Hey, I want to talk about my friends over at J.D. Adams & Company before we get out of here today. I told you in last week's show about my big trip to the White River in north-central Arkansas and just how helpful they were at J.D. Adams & Company. I go in there a lot for the social aspect. It's so fun to just have a place I can go crash, be myself, hear some stories, talk to some other kooky anglers, um, and just have a good time. This was one of the few times where I stopped in and I flat out said, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to a place I I've never been. I'm targeting species in means that I never have before. Um, And I'm just blown away at the grace, the humility, and the amount of information that I was met with over at J.D. Adams and Company. So if you are an angler, if you're interested in fishing and fly fishing specifically, wherever you're at in this journey, go check out J.D. Adams and Company. They're located on the northwest corner of 122nd and North May Avenue. Look for the sign that says Fly Shop on the side of the building and the marquee as well. That's how you you'll know you're in the right place. Those guys are always a good time. They've always got cold drinks and good conversation and a lot of knowledge and gear to get you outside. Well, deer season is up this week. Sunday is October 1st. Uh, hope you guys have some success. If you're in one of those SSA areas, again, those three areas Dallas mm-hmm. were. There's going to be one in Cimarron County. There's going to be one in Texas County, and there's going to be one in Woodward County. So if you're harvesting deer in any of those three areas, please do your part. Go to those sites and drop off your deer head so that they can test for CWD and help get a better understanding of what the landscape looks like today. Final thoughts for you, Dallas? Just uh, go hunt, man. Hunt your hunt. Get outside. Good luck this year. Have some fun. Thanks for joining us this week inside the Outdoor Hour. As always, you can follow me on social media at T underscore Maples. You can follow the show page at Outdoor underscore 
hour on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter for good content and dialogue there. Let us know where you're listening from. Let us know if you have something you'd like to hear about on the show. Maybe you've got a story to tell. Join us. We'd love to have you on as a guest. That's going to do it this week for the Outdoor Hour on 1077 The Franchise. Until next time, go boldly. We'll see you outdoors.